What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Hello, hello. Today we are talking all about why you need to understand sensory processing in order to be a neurodiversity affirming therapist. So maybe you are already on your journey. You probably are at least working on that if you guys tune in to watch our show. But why do you need to understand sensory in order to be a neurodiversity affirming therapist? Well, sensory impacts us every day, all day long, in virtually every way, right? We are sensory beings. The world is a sensory place. There's always sensory input around us. Therefore, we are constantly being influenced by our sensory system. So why specifically do we need to understand sensory in order to be neurodiversity affirming? So first of all, let's just quickly talk about what it means to be neurodiversity affirming this means that we are looking at autism as a neurotype. We are looking at autism as a brain type. And with that, we are looking at how autistic, if we're speaking, I know we're talking about neurodiversity in general, but let's say we're talking about autism specifically. If we're talking about looking at autistic brains, we are not looking at how their brains function as being deficient. We are not looking at them as not functioning correctly, right? We are looking at their brains functioning differently. That's really the key words. It's moving from focusing on deficits to moving to focusing on differences. So we know that autistic brains have differences in communication, differences in interaction, differences in emotional regulation, and a huge one is differences in their sensory processing. So this is really about embracing those differences and validating those differences, not trying to change them, not trying to make them go away, not trying to make them more neurotypical and less autistic. So that's really the foundation of this is we need to realize that autistic brains function differently and sensory differences are a big piece of that. So if you were to take a non-neurodiversity affirming approach, your goal would be to fix it, right? Your goal would be to make it go away. Like they're not going to have these differences anymore. They're going to be the same as everyone else. But the neurodiversity affirming approach of helping kids with sensory differences would be accommodating their differences and supporting them and trying to make them more comfortable. Our goal 
as neurodiversity affirming therapists, providing sensory experiences and strategies and approaches is not to desensitize kids. And this is such a hot topic. It's a hard thing to talk about because there's a a lot of disagreement, but if you take really any neurodiversity affirming sensory-based therapist, that person will know that our goal is not to just increase someone's tolerance to our particular type of sensory input. It's not to decrease their sensitivity. It's to make them more comfortable. Okay. And I put up this post recently where I showed a comment that a parent had written and it was, there was a video I posted about if kids have light sensitivity, there are these awesome magnetic light covers you can purchase to dim the lighting or change the lighting. I always get so many questions for that, by the way, literally go to Amazon, Google magnetic light covers, they will pop up. And I had posted about those. And there was a parent that said, well, if my kid was sensitive to light, I wouldn't buy those light covers. I would buy them a tanning bed. Okay. And the idea that they were getting at, I'm assuming was their goal was to desensitize their kid. Their goal was to give them so much exposure that it wasn't going to bother them anymore. Okay. But that's not how it works. Like, Do our sensory systems change over time? Can we tolerate more things over time? Yeah, sometimes, maybe, possibly. But it's also very likely that we are just, and the comments on this post, by the way, were incredible because so many autistic professionals and adults chiming in and saying things like, you know, if we think that we're desensitizing a child, we probably are just traumatizing them and making them hide how uncomfortable this is for them, only creating problems in the future, right? And then I was thinking back to, well, I was thinking about like one of my least favorite sensory experiences, and that is wearing wool, wearing cashmere, like those itchy types of sweaters. See, I would describe them as itchy. You may not. Okay. And I will tell you, I was shooting my sensory course and I had this vision of wearing a Navy sweater. I said, I need to find a Navy sweater. And I had this vision in my head, which is really, it does not say anything because I'm like the least fashionable person on the planet. But I had this vision. I wanted to wear a Navy. I went all over so many malls, so many stores looking. And again, this is summertime in Los Angeles. It's 85 degrees. It's very hard to find sweaters. And the only one I could find was cashmere. And I said, whatever, I'm just going to buy it. I'm sure I could suck it up for a few days while I'm filming and just wear it. Okay. So when I was packing to do the filming, I decided that I would pack a long sleeve shirt just in case I couldn't wear the sweater, I could put the long sleeve shirt on under and then put the sweater over. Okay, so I get to day one of filming. And mind you, this is, like I said, Los Angeles, summer, 85 degrees. And I go to put the sweater on. It's obviously very, very hot. I cannot possibly wear it. Like there was no way... 
I couldn't be comfortable in it for two minutes, let alone two days of filming straight all day in it. Okay. I knew (laughs) that was never going to work. It was like, I put it on, I was agitated. Everything felt wrong. I was getting really dysregulated emotionally too. I knew I wouldn't be performing at my best if I were to like tolerate this, suck it up and do it. So what did I do? I put the long sleeve shirt under, and then I put the sweater on top because I would rather be dying in 85 degree weather in a long sleeve shirt and a sweater than have to feel that sensation against my skin. And I'm not kidding. That is how I filmed my whole course. Okay. You could probably see it like the sweat glistening on my face. I don't know if glistening is the right word, but it was so uncomfortable that I had to do it. It was like, there was no better way. Okay. So I want you to think about like, what sensory experiences are there out there that you can't stand that someone couldn't pay you a million dollars to tolerate? Okay. So I don't, think my sensory system is going to change over time. I mean, in my 30s, I think I would know by now if I could tolerate a sweater like that. Haven't been able to my whole life. Um, Sometimes I think, oh, well, let me just buy one that's a little bit itchier and wear it. And maybe that will increase my tolerance. But no, I just will never wear the sweater. Okay. So the goal is really not to increase tolerance. The goal is to accommodate the need. In my case, I was accommodating my need by wearing long sleeve over it. Another great accommodation would be to chuck the sweater, wear something totally different. But you know, at that point, it was too late. I'd already set myself up for this, had no other options, filming, camera crew, everyone was ready. There was no turning back. Okay. But in reality, a better idea there, say it was a kid, would be get rid of the sweater. Okay, so a big part of being neurodiversity affirming and using sensory strategies is that we have to validate sensory differences. This is one of the most important things because I think sometimes we forget that other people experience the world differently than us, right? Like no two people are the same and our sensory systems are different. And just because something doesn't bother you doesn't mean it's not going to bother me. And doesn't just because something is great for me doesn't mean it's going to be great for you. So a huge problem that I run into when training others is that we forget that the way that this child is experiencing the world is totally valid and true to who they are. It's not something they're making up in their head. Okay, so for example, if you have a child who's really sensitive to sounds and they get really dysregulated every time they hear the toilet flushing, it's not just that they're having a bigger reaction to what everyone's experiencing, which is something I think we think happens a lot. Like we think that they're just having a bigger reaction than is necessary and that they're experiencing experiencing it in in the same way. But the truth is, if a child has sensitivity to sound in their sensory system, they are experiencing that sound at a much greater level of intensity, right? So their reaction is matching how they are experiencing it. Okay. And the opposite can be true too. If a child is under responsive to something, like let's say a child is under responsive to movement, 
and you think that a 30 second, you know, move around the classroom break is good enough for everyone. That kid might not get anything out of that 30 second break. They might need a 10 minute movement break because they need more. It's not enough for their sensory system. So that's why it's so important for us to really validate these differences, really acknowledge these, because we are ultimately trying to teach kids to trust in themselves, trust that their experiences are real. I had a great conversation with our autistic friend and mentor in our parent program, Chloe Estelle, where she said, you know, autistic people often feel like what we're experiencing is not real. And that's because we are so constantly invalidating children, whether we are doing that intentionally or not. Okay, so validating their experiencing their experiences so that they know what they're experiencing is real so that they could learn to trust in themselves. That is what we ultimately want for our kids. So I hope that that gives you some food for thought. Start thinking about your own sensory system, what it is that, you know, drives you crazy that someone couldn't pay you a million dollars to do. And then when you're working with your kids, think about how are they experiencing this input, right? Because when we look at these big reactions we see, or maybe these big behaviors we're seeing as a result of some kind of input, it starts to really help us put that together so that we can really understand, oh, well, he is acting this way because he's experiencing it this way. And know that validation is one of the most important things that kids need for their emotional well-being, for their development, for them being able to learn and trust themselves in the future. So I hope that was helpful for you. And thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.